an A&E original podcast. Set it up, girls. Let it go. Let it go. What is it? I'm not entertaining this girl. <laughs> Hang up. Hang up the phone. Cancel her Wi-Fi. I'm not doing this with you. You're fired. <laughs> Everyone, welcome to The Table is Ours, a podcast where we talk about all things black, from black motivation to black success to black triumphs. We cover it all at this table because the table is ours. With me today is my fabulous co-host, Amira Lawali. If Amira were a Broadway musical, she would be Dream Girls, specifically, we are Dream Girls. Oh, you make me happy. <laughs> because I like that. <laughs> Amira is flashy. She is classy. And y'all, wait until you see her rock a dress. My girl can slay. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and of course, you guys already know. This is my co-host, Kirby Dixon. If Kirby were a Broadway show, she would be the Lion King, okay? She's iconic. <laughs> she is timeless, and she can rock a print, okay? It matches. Let's go. Period, poo. <laughs> <laughs> so, girl, I have to ask. I have to ask you the same question. Yeah. How are you? How are you really? How are you doing? Girl, I am so good this week because I am fangirling over our guest, Tay Diggs, right? Not only is he Mr. Black rom com, but mm-hmm. before he was Mr. Black rom com, he was a theater store. <laughs> and I grew up with the theater. Like I remember so vividly taking trips with my parents to New York to see shows on Broadway and musicals. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm just so hyped to talk to him about his experience in the theater because it's not something I feel like we discuss very often. Did you grow up going to the theater too? So no, but I love that for you because (laughs) I do. I love that so much for you. Like I think my first time I saw a musical was like when I was on DVD. Mm -hmm. Like so I didn't See, I never saw theater as something that happened on stage until I was much older and I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all about, like, accessibility. Like, this is a very, very rich, very white kind of medium. A thousand percent, yeah. So it's not as accessible to, like, little black kids in random areas. Mm-hmm. But, like, I wish it was. Like, it's you see so many talented people. Like, it could be such, like, a window into talent for, like, young people. Yeah. But once I finally did find musicals, <laughs> I, like, I was it. I I'm glad it. you got to see the light, girl. Doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. Yeah, I yeah. think, you know, my family had to be super intentional with the ways in which we got to visit Broadway. And to be honest, that's probably because the, my proximity to New York being in Philly and only being a two-hour trip from New York and being able to experience that. But you ain't wrong. Broadway is expensive. It's so much money to where I'm like, I get why not everyone is willing to spend 150 on a bad ticket. Mm-hmm. That's a bad ticket. Mm-hmm. Obstructed view. That's a bad seat. <laughs> it is. So it's just, I don't know. I wish it was more accessible to more people because it's such a beautiful medium. It really is. And you know we had to go there with Tay. People are really starting to wake up. And um, if we knew, you know, how much we are being effed over just mm-hmm. on, a, on the regular, people mm-hmm. would trip out. We talked about so many incredible things. We discussed diversity in classism in Broadway. We talked about the pay gap in Hollywood and the difference between getting paid in black movies versus white movies. We discussed all of the dope projects he has. Yes, we love Mr. Black Rom-Com. We sure do. We know him from Brown Sugar. Yes. From Best Man. Yes. You've seen him on New Girl. Yes. He helped Stella find her groove. Groove was found, honey. Tay Diggs, let's get it. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business whether it's a local operation or a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. 
Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Well, hello. We're so excited to have hello. you. It's good to be here. A, this is A&E, right? Yep. yep. Yes. Okay. That's serious stuff. Sophistication. So I thought I should do it. (laughs) That makes me feel a little fancy. I don't know. I think we like to get a little sophista ratchet. So okay. (laughs) We're in such weird times. And I do want to ask you specifically, because every time we ask someone, they kind of give us a vague answer and it's about like everyone around them. But I want to ask you, how are you doing today? Like, how is everything going? How are you really? How am I really? I am. uh, I really am. Well, I'm one of the people that I, I'm kind of suffering from, uh, what is the term? Survivor's guilt. Like, I, I, there are mm-hmm. lots of people that were not doing well, and people lost their jobs, and they lost family members, and uh, people were stuck at home with their kids. And uh, I've been fine. Like, I, I got one kid, and his mother put him in this pod school with a couple of his friends. So he's not driving me crazy because he still gets, <laughs> you know, a social life. I went back to work. We were one of the first productions that went back to work. So I was mm-hmm. cool there. I was able to work during the pandemic doing voiceovers and, and teaching Zoom class. So I, I've been cool. I've, I've been cool. I was really excited when things started opening back up. Though. I was, I went someplace to eat and I, I went into this kind of, I almost had a breakdown just because I was so socially awkward, you know, with all the other people and being able to hear them. Yeah. And the, Look at that. There's a waiter. That's a waiter walking there. He's carrying food. And it's it's trippy. It was really, yeah. really trippy. It took me a minute just to get used to. And it was still outdoors, but it was a, a spot that hadn't opened in a minute. It's it's a trip. Mm-hmm. It's a trip. Like you said, these are really weird times. Whenever I force myself to really look at it, it trips me out. So I just got to like, you know, put my head down and, and keep moving or else I'll break down. hundred percent. Yeah. I, yeah. I am genuinely scared when the world opens back up. I don't know how to interact with people anymore. <laughs> Like, at all. Yeah, it's crazy. An elevator with someone again. I can't do that. Yeah, with more than one person. And we're normally in New York, too, which oh, is an entirely right. different universe. So right. there is no six feet. There's not even two, six inches in between. You can. Even <laughs> in, your, in your apartment, you're still, like, violating the Exactly. <laughs> That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I do miss New York, though. I miss theater, and I miss I miss New York, so... I'm, I, maybe I should wait to, to go until everything's open because it, it, it's like that's part of New York. You don't want to mm-hmm. you, you don't want to be in New York, you know, uh, away from you. know what I mean, yeah. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's so crazy because I feel like New York is sw- I've been back maybe once or twice throughout the entire pandemic. And it's starting to feel a little bit like New Orleans, like they've oh, blocked off streets, right, particularly right. in the theater district where right. the restaurants are. And there's like mm. live music and bands playing in the streets. I'm like, okay, when the world opens up again, I hope one to two of these streets stays like that because it's really, really cool. Yeah, that has been an- another uh, one of the few blessings of, of like the pandemic is other things. The people that are pivoting, some of it is is really working. And like I've never enjoyed, you know, dining outside as much as I, as I have lately. <laughs> oh, because that's the it. only real. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's become a way of life and uh, and just spending more time outdoors. People are spending more time with their families, you know, so there are a couple of lessons. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a question for you because you actually mentioned theater in, in New York. And it is mm-hmm. something that we wanted to talk to you about because you've said a lot how much you love being on stage and being in the theater. And in the past, it was kind of like this experience to go to the theater. But now theater is coming to television and on streaming platforms Mm -hmm. and things like that. But what is it about the theater that you love so much? Like, how did you get into doing theater? I will tell you exactly. I owe my life, I owe my personality, I owe my career, everything. I owe it to theater because uh, I grew up very, very shy. People would consider me a nerd, very Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, uh, withdrawn. Relatable content. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's a a trip. And my mother was the performer and she saw something in me early and threw me into a performing arts high school. And that is literally, you know, through taking those acting classes and being on stage and getting a, it's a combination of, of being able to express yourself freely mm-hmm. in a way, and then getting the response. Mm. Then that fell into place with popularity because if you, obviously if you have talent, you know, at, at a school like that, 
uh, you, you get a certain amount of attention. And then I was just off to the races. So for me, it's not only, you know, the simple answer is it's just a different energy. And it's great to have that give and take on stage. That, that, that's a give and take that you don't get on the set of a you know, television program or film. So that's a, that's a short answer. The long answer is whenever I think of theater, it is what I can consider it gave me my life. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? If I, yeah. get, if I get too deep. So, you know, my mom passed, but I, I think, you know, if she hadn't, who knows what would have happened, you know, if I hadn't gone that route, but I was a very slow, developed very slowly. And it wasn't until I uh, started doing theater that, that I just became more social and more of a uh, contributing member of, the, <laughs> of, a, of a social group. Yeah. That being said, you know, TV and film is, is great in, in its own right as well, but there's nothing like theater. And I won't say I'm a snob, but you can say it. You, you can be a theater I mean, I mean well, <laughs> here's my thing. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm also, as I'm getting older, I'm trying to get used to the idea of if something works for me, it doesn't mean it necessarily works for other people. And right. I want to allow other people to do what they do. But if for people who call themselves actors and who haven't done theater, I would encourage them to at least try. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just because it's so, to me, it is so much of what acting is. But that's just me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People feel about film and TV the same way that I feel about theater. So I definitely don't judge them. But as an actor, you know, and as a rule, kind of embracing things that make you uncomfortable, or mm-hmm. if you have a hobby or an interest or a passion, to look into that as much as possible and to dig into it. If you haven't, at least, you know, and it doesn't mean Broadway, you know, but if you could do just a, you know, a play at the neighborhood playhouse or something, it's just, it's something that I would highly highly encouraged because it's uh it's such a different experience and it really makes you feel like you're doing something you know what i mean yeah yeah you're proud of yourself what do you see as the main difference between theater and film and tv as far as like acting and like how you relate at least to the audience these are good questions i forget um i forget who said it and forgive the uh the sexual reference but it was a female actress who had done a lot and she said tv and film is to masturbation as theater is to actual sex with someone else. Mm-hmm. So got it. Okay, I understand that. It immediately clicked. That clicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, and both both can be bad and both can be good, but it's it's the relating to those other energies. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing like a one man or one person show, you know, you you really you you can't see a play with you can do film and TV and make it work without another actor being in the actual room you can mm-hmm. fool people you know yeah. i mean you can if you have a close-up and you just play the whole thing in close-ups you never see the other person and a lot of times when you know when you're shooting the other person isn't there or you're talking to a double and that can make it work mm-hmm. but doesn't work in theater you know the the uh the audience won't doesn't have that and shouldn't you know be asked to have that level of imagination so it's really and i've learned i've come to respect this the you know the more i've done it's really an art you know, TV and film, how you can convince people of, you know, what you want to convince them of. It's pretty amazing. The tricks and the, you know, just the way you, the way you can convince somebody that you're doing something that you're not. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I love the theater because to me, it feels, it's so raw. And I feel like I have Mm. such a personal connection to the actors that are on stage. Like, I feel like it's something really powerful about seeing someone be at their best in that moment. Like there's no editing. There's no one able to say cut. Like what I'm seeing is that person performing at their absolute best. And I love it. And I'm wondering, because we don't have a lot of people that we get to talk to that have had this experience in the theater, but when you were kind of coming up and performing a lot on Broadway, Did you see there being like a diversity issue or a discrepancy or a blurred line in Broadway in the same way that we're discussing about it in Hollywood? And I ask you this because when Amira and I were preparing for this interview yesterday, my family made me grow up with the theater. Like my appreciation comes from my mom and my dad and my aunts really loving Mm. Broadway and we would take trips to New York, but I never realized that there might actually be a lack of representation in Broadway because they were so intentional with what I was seeing. So the Lion King, Fela, now you have the slave play and all of these things. So for me, I didn't feel like there was a lack of representation because I always saw someone who looked like me either as the star of the play or the stage was filled with it. So did you ever experience that? I experienced both. And oh, this is this is really great. I grew up like you, where 
And I just considered, you know, myself very, very lucky. So while I was growing up, my mother did the same thing. And, you know, wh- wh- wherever it was, whatever it was we were doing, we were always taught to find the Black people and to focus on them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a good lesson. <laughs> it makes you immediately <laughs> feel safe. That is a good yep. lesson. And then the older I got, you know, the more, you know, the, a, a soldier's a soldier's story. Do you know that movie? The play is a soldier's play. And Denzel Washington was in A Soldier's Story, which mm-hmm. was the filmed version. And that's when I noticed him. And that's when I, I was like, I want to be like that guy, that character that. Um, so I grew up the same way. And then even when I started in this industry, you know, I got very fortunate in that shit happened quick for me. Right. You know, I graduated college and in months I was on Broadway. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything just fell into place. So when I got older and started hearing other black folk talk about how it's not fair and how it's unequally yoked. I, and whenever I got asked, I, I didn't have the answer that they wanted because it was how I grew up. Right. Yeah. But that being said, that doesn't mean that it wasn't right around us. You know what I mean? And that's what I've had to really get used to because uh, as far as the profession is concerned, I've had a charmed life. So I don't know the struggle, but now I'm being forced to notice other people's struggles and to look outside of my own life. And it's, it's, yeah, it's grossly unequal. You know what I mean? Just because I, I got the breaks doesn't mean that situations don't need to change around me. And I'm very, very aware. And I used to get upset with my mother because she would, she's one of those people where if the person was black, they were good. And I would be like, oh, are you serious? She, and she was like, nope, they made it. They're doing it. The camera's on them. They are, I'm giving them that. And now I understand because, you know, something has to be done to even out the scoreboard. You got to get the people in and appreciate, you know, different aspects of them or things will never be equal and right. You know what I mean? And she allowed me to kind of appreciate other aspects than just a certain type of town. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So the older I'm getting, the more I'm understanding and appreciating. Oh my gosh. I'm with your mom on that one because... Yeah, I get it now. Yeah. I battle with critiquing Black art in that way because I'm like, I know what you had to go through. To exactly. So I yeah. have like a personal rule where like if I'm at work or a place where there's not a other Black people, I don't critique Black people out loud. Like I won't do it in front of a room where we're the only ones. So uh-huh, uh-huh. I get it. Yeah. Like I know it, we're supposed to take everything, but it's just a it's a loving. Like you have to give someone a loving pass because you understand. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. Or, or a loving critique as well because I feel like mm-hmm. there's still a way. It's just different. There are different ways to critique different people. Yeah, I try to remember. I try not to be so pretentious as to think this is the only way. Do you know what I mean? I think that it's possible to kind of do both and help each other out, but then also allow each other to grow. And that's the thing. And, and that's what a lot of, I want to say white people, but black people do it too. You know, a lot in a lot of situations where African-Americans could have an opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, people saying lack of experience or, you know, that, that they use that as a, not as a way to keep them out, but it's, it's hard for people to get a leg up if mm-hmm. they don't have the experience, but then have the opportunity I want to be able, and I think we all should be able to give ourselves more opportunity to get more experience. How else are you going to get better? Do you know what I mean? It's so interesting that you're like critiquing that because I never thought of it that way. For me, the biggest jarring issue of Broadway is the classism. Like we would be one of the very few black people in the audience at these plays, even if they're black centered. And we would always be dressed to the nines. Like my mom would make sure I had bows in my hair, clothes ironed, all this time, church shoes on. And we go and I'm like, wow. Okay. So this is like an experience and a luxury for us, but everyone else around is coming in in between lunch or whatever. Sure. So that's what I noticed more than the lack of diversity that I saw on stage and in the audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not just on stage. It's who goes to see the shows, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because... I think the most Broadway I got is when I moved to New York for work and I saw that it was like this environment. I was like, oh, this is amazing. But I just wasn't exposed to it in the same way. Mm-hmm. So then I'd ask like personal questions. I was like, why wasn't this brought up like 
in my like middle school or like where arts were supposed to be brought in. So it's who has access and like who has like the equity of like being exposed to this, which honestly, like I read this article about little black boys having ADD and the fact that they should be put in gymnastics instead of timeout. So Mm -hmm. what you see Mm. and like what you do should be put in other areas. Like we should be pushed in arts. We should be pushed in gymnastics. Mm -hmm. There's so many areas that are traditionally white spaces yeah. mm-hmm. that are young kids who just don't have the opportunity or don't see it. So they don't, if they don't see it, they don't know they can do it. Mm. And they're expensive spaces. They like, are. We don't have the same ability to take an entire like inner city school to go see a play because that's a couple thousand dollars at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Whereas for a privileged family, it's nothing to put your kid in gymnastics or to go see a play that with a ticket costs $400, you know, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything you're saying is is right. So how do we create equity in this space? Mm-hmm. The space where these kids should be, like we should be more of? Like how do we create equity that creates lasting change? Okay, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll say that. I actually appreciate you saying that. I, I do too, because we don't either. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But this is, in, in my experience, and th- you know, this may seem woo-woo to people out there, but I have made the choice and this is much to many, many people's chagrin, to not go the negative route, to not get bogged bogged down. Is that a Mm -hmm. word? Bogged down (laughs) in the negativity and to focus on what I or what we can do. So I'm very hopeful that it will get better. It is getting better. You mean so Mm -hmm, so that's mm -hmm. the proof that's in the in the pudding. No nobody you know, nobody can doubt that. And, you know, for me to do everything that I can to help the situation. So, you know, I'm producing now and there was this show that I wanted to do where it's called Field Trip. You go to these schools and you surprise these, you know, inner city classes with a field trip to go somewhere where they've never been before. So it could Mm -hmm. be a play, it could be the ballet, it could be the opera, it could be the museum. Little things like that. I, feel, I really believe in uh, in energy and where you put your energy in that. It will end up manifesting in, in some in some way. That works for me more than um, constantly talking to other people about what we don't have and how we need this and how we won't. It's, it's just you can still, this is what works for me. You can still kind of battle this issue, but coming from a different perspective, that's what works for me because I'm, I feel things too deeply. And if I keep talking about you know, what we don't have and how we have been mm-hmm. wronged. And, and I'm not saying ignore it, but right. I don't harp on it. Yeah. You're, you're just saying be proactive. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. manifest what you want and what you need. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying the other way doesn't work because, mm-hmm. we you know, we need the people to, to fight and to, you know, hold other folks accountable. But for me, that it doesn't work for me. And I end up getting a lot more of a result when I come from a, a positive perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing that we're probably all learning from the aftermath of this summer when we all kind of had to face injustice. We all do it differently. Exactly. Yeah. Like yes. some of us are in the exactly. show, some of us are in the books, some of us are on stage. We all do it differently and that's fine. Yeah. And it's needed. It's necessary. Yes. It's needed. Everybody. I think so. Because you can actually end up causing more disarray and harm by taking your brother or sister to task. Do you know what I mean? If we move as a unit and kind of leave the specifics out and just say, okay, just come along and do what you can. I'll trust you. I'll trust that, you know, what you're going to do is going to end up helping us out. But I'm not going to wag my finger at you because you're not on the front lines with a gun and a candle or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, that helps no one. Yeah. And yeah, it really doesn't. It doesn't make people feel good. And uh, and it actually pushes people away, I think. And it ends up it ends up coming together. The, the uh, people, of you know, of a like mind will join up and do what they need to do. So, yeah, 2020 was, was a trip. Yeah, <laughs> it, was a trip. it really was a real learning experience. Well, we've talked about kind of very necessary things, I I think, and talking about kind of your experience with the theater and what needs to change and, and what's been going really well. But I also want to talk about you being Mr. Black Rom-Com. Like, come on. Oh, man. Come it's been a minute. On. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, but everything you touch is a staple in my now obsolete DVD collection. <laughs> Telling her me. That was just a matter of, of timing. Yeah. <laughs> it is taking everything in me not to start singing. I was like, sunny days. No. <laughs> I was doing this before you started coming. 
<laughs> into this interview. I mean, come on. You're in our favorites from Brown Sugar to mm-hmm. Best Man Holiday mm-hmm. to how Listen, Kirby. Groove back. Yep. Those are good Jeez. ones. Louise, sir. We love to see it. Please, <laughs> Louise. But, okay, another thing that Amira and I love is we love to make our guests comfortable, and we we like the tea. We want to know those stories that you've never told anyone from set. Like, we know who your crew is. We're talking about Morris Chestnut, Neil yes. Long, Sanaa Lathan, mm. Terrence Howard. It's a very specific crew. Like, when I think back yeah, to your era... Of like black films, there was a, a crew. It felt like a frat, a sorority, like a tribe that we all wanted to be in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, what is a story we've never heard from you about kind of even maybe your best experience on set or, or one of those sets? Oh, man. This isn't going to be the answer you want, but every project was so different and new that they were all just amazing experiences. You know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So got a group back was a literal dream come true. That was that was some shit where so it was good. like <laughs> I really thought, okay, what people say is right. Whatever. When you pray, when you visualize, whatever. Cause I was on like I was really running on confidence after I graduated high school. Like I was like, I know this is gonna happen. I I, I know it. And I felt like I brought it to me. So when I got that movie, and it took a minute for me, even though, you know, I I had been out just a couple of years before that movie came out, which is no time at all when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. um, I was very impatient and I, I did the show Rent and Rent blew up. And I was the last person in the cast of the principal roles to get the jump off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my role was, was smaller than the others. So I got really impatient. And then and I remember I took a soap opera just so I could keep myself busy so I could feel better about myself. I did a soap opera during the day and then rent during the nighttime. And Angela Bassett saw the show and uh, we had the same agent at the time. So I got in that way. But I was, you know, I was really, really impatient. So when I got that movie, I was like, okay, that's a dream come true. And then when I got Best Man, that's when I was um, in the company of other Black artists, of other Black greatness. And that was amazing. You know, I grew up kind of on the outside. You know, I was I I dated white girls. So from an early age, generally speaking, a lot of black people kind of kept me at arm's distance before they got to know me. So I went into the best man being prepared for I mean I and I married you know, my baby mamas were white. I married a white woman. You better talk about your baby mama Ted. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I came into the best man with my guard up. Because I understood the the discrepancy that some black women have with black men dating white women. I get it. But I also had to guard myself so that I don't let it affect me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can understand your situation, but um, this is me. And no offense, but I got to make sure I don't let you get inside me. Or it's going to affect my work. Mm-hmm. So I went in with my guard up and everybody was amazing. And there were more. I grew up thinking I was the only you know, all these other black people, we all had the same sense of humor. We all, and yeah. we got so close. And that's when um my perspective changed on just other black folk. You know what I mean? Like we come in all different shapes and sizes and attitudes. And it's not, you know, people aren't just one-sided. And, and that was amazing. And they were talented. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. that was that. When I did this movie, Malibu's Most Wanted with Anthony Anderson yeah. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and Regina Hall. We laughed all day, every day. And I didn't think that was possible at work. You know what I mean? So all of these different films, you know, and most of the romantic comedy ones, they're all really, really special. And I, and I was very, very proud of, of them because I got really lucky in that the ones that I got cast in, in many situations, were like the kind of the first of their kind. Do you know what I mean? For me, I was like, this is just as good as a white movie. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Which at the time, you know, that was like the measuring stick. And the, the stories weren't general. They weren't stereotypical. And these are the Black people that I had wished I had grown up with. You know what I mean? The actors and the characters that these actors were playing. So it was really just a great time for me. You know, I learned to be who I was. You know, Morris Chestnut and Terrence Howard, when I was doing The Best Man, they had a, a serious appreciation for their families and their wives. So we, they would hang out socially. But then they, they always, you know, would step out and take the call or leave early and give that time to when the wife was in town or, you know, so I learned how to be an actor outside of the work by watching these other black men around me. It was cool. What was that experience like, though? Because for me, it's interesting because you are kind of like 
our black husband staple in all of these movies or boyfriend or love interest mm-hmm. of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like what was it, even that experience that you had in your personal life that may have had you a bit cautious or expecting that this like all black cast set might not be as welcoming of you as other sets that you've been on. That experience and, you know, and after how Stella got her groove back came out, it lessened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I had fans, you know, I, I really appreciate that. It's just about black people. I feel like we as a people are very forgiving. You know what I mean? If somebody likes someone and they do something off, they'll forgive it. You know, they'll notice it, but mm-hmm. they'll forgive it and look at what matters. And I really appreciated that people outside of, you know, how they might have felt about my personal relationships were still could have really appreciated the work and like who I was as an artist. Because that's, you know, people came to see the movie still. And, and, and I really appreciated that Yeah, on both sides of yeah. the camera. You know what I mean? So it changed and I let my guard down. Well, we're glad you did. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I had no issue embracing. I just felt like I wasn't being embraced and right. doing those films showed me. So I feel like that was like the universe's way of saying, just, just you're in your own head. Like it's bigger than this and don't project. These are your people and they love you. Did you feel like you weren't being embraced like when you were on Broadway by the black community? No, 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 no. That was completely different. It was there's something about there's something. Of, I mean, this is just my experience. You know what I mean? I don't know if you know it was New York City. There was a lot of interracial couples, and and that was very. I don't want to say common, but I feel like there's something something about our artists coming from the theater. Everyone is just it seems far more accepting. You know, it was when you know you go out. You know, the outskirts when when it can get a little a little rough. But no, the theater, you know, it's just a, a loving family, you know, open, accepting, experimental, all of that stuff. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was a great way to come up. Okay, I have a question, though. I have an answer. <laughs> In your <laughs> Best Man Holiday uh, little moment, your little dancing, who took the longest to learn the dance moves? Who has two left feet that we should be aware of? Well, no one has two left feet. I will say this. Terrence, I was a... He, had other stuff going on. I don't know if he had another job or I never remember seeing him at the rehearsals, but he was able to pick it up and they were able to shoot around him enough. <laughs> but if he, I, I know if he didn't know something, he would just go and do up, do his own little thing. And I was, um, I was like, that is, that is a movie star right there. That's improv. Yes. You see, I just watched that <laughs> clip this morning and I was like, is he off? <laughs> like, there's this one part in there where I was like, I don't know if he's with everybody else. And I was like, okay, he, I support the editing. <laughs> but he didn't um, He didn't hold anybody back, though. I mean, that, that was a fun night. That was a fun night. You know what I mean? Yeah, we all felt it, too, as viewers. Oh, we, we definitely felt it. That was great. That was great. That was nothing like the, you know, the experience was nothing like the first one. Because, uh, you know, we had all grown, we had all lived life socially and professionally, but it was just as great. Yeah, we're talking about the third installment. We're trying to get everybody's schedules right. Talk about it. Yes, talk about it. That's it. I mean, I know that it's going to be a series. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now, you know, I'm I'm on All Americans, so I got to wait till that's all taken care of. But then once once we get everybody's schedule right, it's going to go off. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Do you ever feel boxed in because 
you were kind of for one point in your career, like Mr. Black rom-com, because when I think about it, like when we listed everyone who was in like that group or frat or sorority of like black talent, mm-hmm. you kind of get boxed into being black famous. And when I think of black famous, I think of icons mm-hmm. I love. I think of Loretta Devine. I think of like Lynn Whitfield, mm-hmm. like even sometimes Morris Chestnut. So like, do you ever feel like that kind of put you in a box? 100%. I grew up taught to be appreciative. So I was talented, but at the same time, grateful and appreciative. And that kept me quiet. So I was, um, when it came to fighting for maybe what we needed as a Black people, Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't complain because who am I to complain? I had everything kind of given to me and I didn't have to fight and I, you know, didn't have to stand in line. But that didn't mean that we didn't need to fight. Right. So I'm right now, you know, just lately realizing that you, I can still be appreciative, but still fight and say this isn't right. I remember at a certain time I was, you know, eating high off the hog, you know, m- movies were coming in, but mostly black stuff. I'd either mm-hmm. get like the black dude in an all white movie yep. or or, you know, one of the leads in a black movie. And I remember looking at the cover of Vanity Fair and Matt Damon was in the tub with this big smile. He was new on the scene. Wow. And I I was like, and I love Matt Damon. Yeah. But I was like, I I got that. I can do it. I want to be on the cover of Vanity Fair. Right. Mm -hmm. And tried to find another, because I was like, I want you to, to, I want to make sure that you are giving me the opportunities to be the lead in these white movies. Yes. And nothing, nothing, nothing. Wow. And I was like, wait, and then I was like, oh, this this is what they were talking about. When I was in this movie, nothing else was out there for other people. That You know, I, I was like the hot new thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not like with white people where it was Colin Farrell, Matt Damon, Bennett, like everybody, all the little white boys had a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, it was like mm-hmm. at that time, there was one dude, you know, before me was more, you know, Lawrence Tate had his moment. We all had our moments. But we didn't have those opportunities and the business was racist. And I don't even know if they even knew they were racist. Right. Yep. Because everybody's so brainwashed. But that was the, you know, we're still, we're, we're talking about on um on Best Man 3, you know, that's the highest some of us have gotten paid. And I'm 50. Okay. Can we talk about that? Yes. Because we, we always talk about the pay gap between men and women. Men and women. But what is the discrepancy in pay between black it's films and ridiculous. white films? Mm-hmm. So I read Taraji's book. Taraji said that Tyler Perry was the first person that like paid her what she was worth. You know what I mean? And that was like a black movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it's a trip. You know, for the longest time I thought I would, you know, I, I, I didn't want to appear ungrateful or ungrateful, but that was something that, you know, it's a little bit different in TV, mm-hmm. um, a lot different in TV, but there was definitely that gap there and it's, you know, it still exists. Mm-hmm. It's still out there. Is that like a normal conversation that actors have in Hollywood, though? Because Amir and I are obviously in the entertainment industry, but we're on the corporate side. And it's almost like mom is the word. Like you don't talk about what you're getting paid between your coworkers, especially male and female, especially, especially white and black. Like that is not Mm -hmm. a conversation. So I'm wondering in Hollywood, do actors like if you're on a film, a feature film or on a television series and you're at the top of that call sheet, is it normal for you guys to have conversation like, yo, what are you getting paid? Because this is what they offered me. It depends on the situation. Like for Best Man 3, so that movie made money, the first one, right? Mm-hmm. And then we did the second one and nobody made any money on the second one. So the mm. third one, everybody got together and we were like, you know, all right, f- this y'all. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're all established. We don't really need to do this. So let's swing for the fences. Let's all make sure we get what we deserve. Since yes. we got the first time and the second time. So then we all were kind of, now, now everybody knows all the information. But normally, normally, I don't know. I think it would go back and forth. Because there was all, there was all, what I loved about uh, working on these black movies is it was different than the white movies in that it was more familial. So we did things differently. So you would have certain conversations. But at the same time, you know, on certain sets, it, you know, it's, it's, so some people would consider it a classless. So it, it would depend on the people, on, on the actors. But mostly, it was like a known understanding. We're all in this together. Let's have each other's backs. Yeah. Yeah. But it's tough because the only thing we had to compare it to was the white side of things. And we mm-hmm. weren't 
that was stupid that we, yeah. we knew all right we're not going to be that so now we're going to set our own bar which is much lower pay me what you owe me pay me my money yeah yeah that's the hard thing because i think like i think corporations and i know we're at a corporation so i know Andy, <laughs> tread lightly they are protected by me and kirby or me and kirby talking to a white girl or a white guy about money. They don't want you to talk to your peers about they money. They don't want yeah. us to. Because no. the moment we do, like the no. fact that I could be training a white girl that makes double me is ridiculous. It's a trip. So I just, I want everyone to talk about money. I want to wear it as a badge. I want to wear it on my shirt so that I know, like, don't let people screw me if you think I'm valuable. Yeah. Like, why do you want to screw me over? Yeah. It's I, Let me tell you, because people are really starting to wake up. And um, if we knew, you know, how much we are being effed over just on the regular, people would trip out. I mean, they don't want you to talk about money because they're saving it. Exactly. The less we talk about money, the less we're going to hold other people responsible and the more people are going to realize how unfair shit is. Yes. Yeah. What I really have difficulty with is at the end of the day, it really is greed because the natural design of most businesses, it, it works. If you get somebody that's talented, that talented person is good enough so that people will pay. Everybody will make out okay. Exactly. But it's, a, it's those people that want to, you know, want so much more than what they deserve to the point where they have to mess up the system and not be fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be kind of depressing. That's how, that's how the United States works. That's literally how, what it's built on. Have you ever had to turn down a job because you knew that the production wasn't able to pay you what you are worth? Like once you realized who you were and you stood in your purpose, have you ever had to say no because you weren't going to get paid what you knew you deserved? Um, It depends on the project. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, there are projects I've said no to where if the money was right, it would compensate for the project maybe not being as well written. But if something's not well written and they're not paying me, then that's that's a hard no. But, you know, agents and managers, they make sure, you know, we're we're, actors are treated like we're so sensitive. So managers and agents, they don't want to come to actors with gigs that are low paying or else it hurts the actors egos. Yeah, I I bet. (laughs) (laughs) I would be like, you want me to do what for the film? Exactly. (laughs) Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Well, let me tell you a funny story. It's a funny story. So back when Netflix was just getting put on, I'm very flighty. I'm very flaky. I'm surprised I have gotten as far as I am for how, I mean, I just, I don't read. I don't know what's going on. Business. <laughs> you know, I'm not that dude. Keeping up with trades is hard. We have to it is too. hard. I'm like, uh, who, who bought just, what? Who's doing what? I really respect people that know what's going on. Um, Cause I don't, I just kind of, <laughs> you know, blindly bounce through life and it's worked up to this point, but I will say Netflix was on the rise. Right. And, um, and it was streaming. None of that stuff was, had really taken a, a hold yet. Mm-hmm. And my agent came to me, was like, there's this show it's called house of cards. It's on Netflix. And I was like, Netflix, <laughs> are you, why would you come to me? What else has, have they, and he had not, all he, all he could say was House of Cards. It, they're starting out. People are talking about it. And I remember being so offended. And I told oh, him, no. don't, don't you call me unless it's a network. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> now I'm at Netflix's door like, hey, you guys remember me? <laughs> crazy, 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 crazy. A separate conversation. I want to tell you, and I know this is not what you want to hear, but I discovered All American at the beginning of quarantine because of Netflix. Oh, I I love to hear that. And I (laughs) am obsessed. She is. I love it. Why wouldn't I want to hear that? I mean, most people, you know, I know what it's like. We work in a network, so I'd rather tout CW than Netflix ratings. Gotta keep it real. (laughs) Yeah. But I I love it. I love everything about it. I binged it in between meetings. I binged it after <laughs> after she did. work. It's awesome. In between it's... meetings, sometimes a little late. <laughs> okay. That's all right. That's all right. Tell anybody, you are correct. <laughs> and I think the thing that I love about the show, and obviously it is following a real life person, but I love the way in which the storyline is able to go into these really complicated 
themes of intersectionality, so interracial dating, what it's like in discrepancies in schools, depending on where you're living, young pregnancy, what athletes have to go through when they, you know, want to become NFL players and what they put their bodies through. Mm -hmm. But your storyline for me is really interesting because it really feels like art imitating life in a way because you are playing, obviously, uh, a husband in a kind of a, a tricky situation mm-hmm. with a, a white wife and your children are mixed race, biracial. And I'm wondering, do you finally feel like you're in a role that comes more naturally to you because it is imitating in a way what you've experienced in your personal life? Ooh, y'all are good. Y'all are good. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> like, do you finally feel seen in a way? No, but. I mean, yes, I feel I feel seen, <laughs> but not. I've all I've always felt seen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I've always felt seen, at least to a certain extent. But um, this kind of um, <laughs> this goes back to what you just said. Um, I was in the airport, and this like twelve year old white girl and her friends giggled and came up to me, and I didn't know what they wanted. You know what I mean? Because that demographic, I had never. I didn't know that I had an effect on them. And they said, Coach Baker, can we take a picture with you? And when I <laughs> took the pictures and when I left, uh, my girlfriend at the time, I said, I'm white girl famous now. Like, I'm white girl famous. <laughs> That's a different whole brand. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm very appreciative of the, um, you know, how many different kinds of people appreciate that role. I think it's one of the only roles that has been this widely recognized, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that and and I, I was like I it was something that I just realized that I can appreciate. But that's so funny. I didn't even I'm at such a different place in my life now, having been separated from my ex-wife, that it didn't did I didn't even recognize the, the personal connection, which is really interesting. But I would have, I would have back in the day. Um, but you know, with every role I can immediately because I've 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 thought that art has imitated life with a whole bunch of different roles that I've played. Where, where I was personally. So I've, I've kind of always, I've always felt that I'm very, uh, and once again, I'll give like, you know, kind of thanks to the universe where if you had told me that this was the role that would have garnered as much attention, I would have laughed in your face. You know yeah. what I mean? Like playing a football coach, married to a white wife, playing a dad. You know what I mean? I would have, I would have said, first off, I'm not going to take it. You know, I would feel like that's, why would I do that to myself? Why would I deliberately, you know, try to play a father of teenagers married to a white woman. Do you, you know, why do you want me to turn away all the right. fans that I've, you know. And in a way, it's like, I live this. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But thankfully, I wasn't in that place. And it just, it was a great role. And I, and I kind of just trusted my instincts and went with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm so proud. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so we know you have another book coming out soon. Oh. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah, an established author. Author. <laughs> <laughs> we made this podcast honestly to brag and celebrate our black faves. So if you could just brag and tell us what's coming up next, excite our audience. But with the book or with the book. Let's focus on the book first. Oh yes. It's called okay, it's a part of a series. The me series, people are calling it. First book was called Chocolate, Chocolate Me. Second me. book. Yep. Right. Second one was Mixed Me. Third one was called I Love You More Than. Um, Chocolate Man makes me about, you know, the little brown dude and, and his life and how he's learned to, how he is learning to embrace how chocolate he is, regardless of other people making fun of him. Mixed Me is similar and, uh, you know, mixed kids learning and being proud to embrace both sides and to appreciate the, the mixture that they have and that they are special and shouldn't be forced to choose that they can appreciate both. Mm-hmm. And then I Love You More is... Uh, this little boy is away from his dad a lot and he is writing his dad and telling him all the different ways uh, his dad is you know telling his child all the different ways he loves him illustrated by what they do when they are together their favorite experiences and adventures and my friend is the most recent one that takes the character from chocolate me and the character from mixed me and their best buddies and it goes through just a friendship and how it's cool to hold each other accountable that's also uh, mm-hmm. you know something that a friendship can from which a friendship can benefit yeah, uh, yeah they go through a little adventure and uh, and I'm proud of it I think it's out now I can't keep track yeah <laughs> well you have why a conversation about race coming out too 
Oh, that's right. right. <laughs> I forgot. So yeah. busy, so booked, so many things. Yeah, I wrote that in the middle of the pandemic, right up, right when Black Lives Matter. Yeah, about just a child's perspective of watching all of this going around and why there is this unrest. And the parents, uh, he talks to his grandmother, he talks to his father, he talks to his mother, and the relatives give their honest opinion of why we are where we are right now trying not to scare or alarm, but, but being honest as well. Yeah. I think that was a real, that was something really challenging for people. Absolutely. Because, you know, as a parents, a lot of times you feel like you need to kind of shade, uh, keep your child away from adult situations because that you don't think that they're old enough to comprehend. But some of the stuff you have to talk about or, or else it'll make a child feel even less at ease. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I have all that going on. Oh, so that. busy, so fucked. So much you didn't even realize it. I know. <laughs> yes. We like to end every podcast, every episode the same. One question for our guests, because it's all about celebrating our Black faves. If you could fill in the blank, I love being Black because. Because, uh, oh my goodness, I love being Black because um, it, it's just cool. It's just, I was growing it's just cool. Amen. It is. We get it. People my mom and dad exposed me to were people that, you know, Sidney Poitier and Denzel Washington. Yes. All of these people were just cool people. And when, when I didn't feel as cool as them, I could watch them. And that made me feel just as cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I agree with that. Striking and talented and pragmatic in the best way possible. Yes. Wait. Who, me? Who are you talking about? You're one of them, but even the people you were naming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you, you too. You too. Those people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and once again, it was like a type of Black that the white people that I knew didn't know. So I didn't Mm -hmm. understand at the time. This was before being Black was cool to white people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When I was younger. I didn't understand why other people didn't think black people were as cool as <laughs> I didn't get it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, so that was great because I, I automatically, if I heard, you know, white people speaking negatively of black people, I immediately I was like, well, you're not, you're no judge because you don't know who I know. So, so it was great. It wasn't like, cause there are whole, there are tons of people that grew up listening to white people and believing it. You know what I mean? And I was not, I was not one of those young people. So that helped. Awesome. Thank you so, so this much. This has been so much fun. Thank you, guys. We hope you felt the love. You're one of our Black faves. We love you. We stand everything that you're doing. We will be tuned in to the next best man. Hello. Tuned in. Yeah. I hope you get a dance number. <laughs> I hope so, too. I bet you there will be to uh-huh, some extent. For sure. <laughs> but come back whenever we want to support you in any way, shape, or form. Thank you. Thank you, guys. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amira Lawali. This episode was also produced by McKamey Lynn and Richard White and edited by Melissa Kaplan. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. The Table is Ours was created by A&E. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.